thank you for taking time in the middle of uh, so much. Ryan knows me just a little bit, but you know, I lead Impact for the Minneapolis Foundation. And we started this podcast about a year ago for us to really start digging into issues that the community is facing. And um, it's a good way for me, you know, I'm from the city to like talk about stuff that I would normally be talking about with like my friends and allies and bringing it uh, into this, you know, sort of space and conversation. And so um, it's been sort of my, my activism, if you will, inside of philanthropy to, to have these conversations. So, so Josh, we were talking about your activism and coach was just saying like, you are really doing it right now, um, really getting involved. And I'm really curious on what, what got you activated? Uh, I wouldn't call myself a, a activist, but um, I don't know. It was just, it was just something in me. I think with the whole um, social distancing and everything with coronavirus, it really forced everybody to think for themselves. It really forced everybody to, you know, do a lot of self-reflecting. Um, I was actually in my uh, at home. You know, I'm um, from the Metro Atlanta area. And um, I was actually at home with my brother and we was just, you know, just chilling. There's really not much to do during that time. This is around, I want to say, um, early May, um, late April. And, um, you know, we just seen on the news the, the whole Ahmaud Arbery case. And, uh, you know, just watching that on the news. But, you know, we've seen cases like that before. You know, although they're wrong, we want to say we kind of got normalized to them. So it's like, you know, we're watching it. We're following it. We're, you know, talking about how wrong it how wrong it is. And that's another thing um, the whole coronavirus helped us do was to have conversations. Cause not a lot of times, you know, uh, we get to have conversations with those that we live with because, you know, my brother, he's a dentist. So he's up early in the morning. By the time he comes home, he's tired, maybe get something to eat, take a nap. Then my schedule, I'm always away. Like it, we never have time to really talk amongst ourselves. So, you know, he obviously wasn't going to work and I was home, really wasn't doing anything. So it forced us to have conversations. So we were, we were, you know, constantly talking about it, constantly talking about it. And you start to hear a whole bunch of different viewpoints. But then, um, you know, and then he showed me the video about, you know, Elijah McClain. And then I'm like, whoa, you know, like this is, this is even crazier. And then, you know, um, uh, the the restrictions in terms of the gym has um, loosened up a little bit, but you know it's been like two months, and I told myself, you know, I have I can't just not work out no more. I have to get back into some kind of routine. So I said, okay, let me let me fly back up to Minnesota, and um, let me let me start working back out. So I flew to Minnesota on a Sunday, and then that Monday, that's when George Floyd, you know, got murdered. And when that happened, that for me was kind of the striking point. Cause I, I was already a little bit on edge and you know, I don't really say a lot. I don't really say too much to speak about things like this. But when that, when that happened, I, something in me said, I don't know what you are gonna do. I don't know what you're gonna say. I don't know how you're gonna come about this, but I can't say nothing anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just felt like personally saying nothing and just saying, oh, we're normalized to this, or this is just another one or, it just for me, I felt like it just wasn't an option that I had anymore, and it was Joe. It was just the domino effect. Just those series of events just kind of sparked that within me. And I actually, I was actually looking for something to do. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to speak to. I didn't like. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. So um, it's actually funny. One of my former teammates, because I I always try to spread love. You know, I, I'm a strong believer of fighting 
fighting hate with love. You know, I don't really believe in retaliation in terms of physical retaliation. So, you know, I'm reaching out to all my uh, close friends and close teammates and just saying, you know, man, I love you. You know, I'm sending them good texts. How's everything? Just checking in with everybody. And one of my teammates, uh, uh, Jeff T, I reached out to him. I gave him a call. I was like, yo, Jeff, what's going on, bro? I just wanted to check in, make sure everything's straight. Crazy where we live in. Just make sure you stay blessed. Shot him a quick te- text. And he called me. He was like, what's going on, bro? Everything's cool. We were just talking about some things that didn't even have nothing to do with basketball or even uh, the, the killings at that point. We were just talking about something random. I forgot what we were talking about. And then I brought this up to him. And he, he hit me. He said, look, man, I know some people in town and he knew one of the publicists of, um, of what's his name? Stephen A. Jackson, yes. He said he knew a publicist of Stephen A. Jackson and they were gonna hold a press conference in Minneapolis and he asked me, he was like, uh, I don't know if this is something that you wanna get into, but just know if you do wanna you know, show your face or if you do wanna speak or whatever you wanna do, you know, here's the resource, this is her name, this is her number, reach out. I already told her that you may reach out. If you don't, it's cool. So I was like, I'll, I'll think about it because I, I didn't really want to get into the whole, you know what I'm saying? Because I feel like once I'm in, I'm in. And I didn't really know if I wanted to do something like that. So I was like, I told him, I actually told him, I was like, you know, I probably won't even do it, but I appreciate you, you know, reaching out to me. And, uh, and then we, we hung up, we just left it at that. And then the whole day, I don't know, like I couldn't get away from the video. And actually, I couldn't even watch the video. I watched like the first 20 seconds and I put the phone down because I, I, I didn't feel like I had the emotional capacity to watch the video at that time. And then, um, then the whole day, I was just thinking about it. I was just thinking about it. And then something just that one day, something just came to me and I was just like, you know, like, like I said, like, I just can't do nothing. Like, I don't, like I told you, I don't know no resources. I don't, I didn't know anything, but in my mind, I was like, if I do anything, this, this might as well be the, be the start, starting point. So I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go. Even if I don't say nothing, I'm just gonna go and just show my support and just stand in solidarity. So I, I reached out to her. She said, look, you know, they had some people going to like, uh, Jamie Foxx was there, Stephen, I mean, Stephen Jackson was there, of course, Tamika Mallory, uh, she, she's very, I got a chance to meet her on different occasions. She's very, uh, she's, she's a great person and she has a great mind and um, great leader as well. So I was like, you know what, I'm gonna come. And then uh, when I did it, I heard, you know, Kat, my other teammate wanted to come as well. So I gave Kat a call. I was like, look, Kat, you know, I, I heard that you think about doing this. Obviously, you know, this is a bad time for, for, for him um, um, dealing with his circumstances. And I, I told him, I'm like, look, if you don't want to go, I'll definitely represent you. I already represent the team. But if you don't want to do this, it's okay. He originally told me, he was like, you know, he doesn't know if he'll be able to make it. But, you know, if there's anything that he could do to help, let him know. And, and it was great, you know, even having him there as well. So, and the best part, I feel like the most underrated part about this whole thing is having the Timberwolves like behind me. Like to- Yeah, I wanna to, talk about that a little bit too, Josh. And just coincidentally, I was one of the planners of that rally, which is why I knew what published list you reached out Yeah, 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 Andrea, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and what was interesting, so we were kind of running around in, in there and, um, what was interesting is like, I was going through my own thing too, right? So I work in the social sector, I'm in philanthropy. My mom actually had came home uh, two days before George Floyd's murder for hospice care. And when they called me about the rally, I'm like, man, I am doing, like I am just emotionally spent in so yeah. many ways, but I felt like I had to put my energy towards something. 
And so we were literally like in my dining room, like through this door here, um, you know, planning and trying to figure out security for the event. Um, you know, so yesterday actually when I was, um, cause everyone had masks on, so it was kind of difficult to see, yeah. too, but, um, I saw a video of you online and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, I actually remember seeing you there and, um, you guys walking in and I felt like it was a really powerful moment. It was, it was really powerful observing it. Um, it, it made a huge, a huge difference. I remember because at first it's like, because you know what this whole thing is just so polarizing. It's like, okay, if I do this and it, and I didn't do it in terms of like, oh, what would they think? What would they think? I did it because I felt like I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to, you know, show that, you know, I, I, I care and I wanted to show that this is wrong and I wanted to make a statement whether I spoke or not. But it was much more comforting and it, it gave me much more confidence when, you know, the, the whole staff, they hit me. They was like, look, are you going to go? If, if not, cool. But if you're going to go, you got to let us know because we want to have security for you. We want to make sure you're straight. We want to make sure this is taken care of. Care of. We want to make sure parking is good. So we get there and, you know, Tony, which is one of the, um, one of the police officers and security, Tony Adams, yeah, that works with yeah. us. He's great. He was there for us, make sure everything was smooth. And, you know, we, we had a, we had a, uh, it was, it was a great experience for me, but Another people reach out like J.O. Look, like Coach reached out to me. Coach was like, "Look, Steven Jackson, he's he's having a, uh, they're doing a, a peaceful protest tomorrow. Let me know if you want to join because we're gonna have security for you." Da 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 da. Uh, one of the assistant GMs hit me up. Look, this is a list of things going on with the uh, with the um, protests and different things in the city this week. Let me know if you need anything. Like they're coming to you know what I'm saying they're coming to me with a list of things, and it's much different because I'm like like at first I didn't even know if I wanted to do this or not, and now that I know that I. I wanted to be a part of something like this, like for them to come to me and say, like, we know you want to be a part of this. We're behind you. Here are the things. If you don't know, we can supply anything you need. Like even one of our other um, um, staff members, Kurt Joseph, he has stuff that he does on his side. And I've talked to Kurt um, on several occasions about this. He's told me that, you know, the staff is behind him when he wants to do something too. So that just speaks volumes to me about who, you know, we had not only in the front office, but on our coaching staff. And yeah. for our whole, like, front office to be one of the most diverse in the NBA, it just, it just shows you, like, what kind of love that we have within the organization. And I feel like we had that strong foundation like that in the heart of Minneapolis. I feel like that love can definitely be shared, not only yeah. statewide, but uh, nationwide. So, Coach, has this always been part of how you have um, led or have you evolved as you have experienced yeah. um, these visible murders of, of black men, are you evolving with your team? Yeah. Or is it something that was a natural orientation for you? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, I think seeing, you know, you know what's wrong. You know, if, if you try to live your life, you know, the right way, you know what the difference between what right and wrong. And, you know, I, I think that one thing that sports always will do for you um, you know, as, as somebody who's been involved in sports his whole life, been around it. My father was a coach in the NBA for a long time. Um, he did a lot of coaching in the CBA. And, and I've talked about this before, but the, you know, it wasn't uncommon in the CBA that he would have a player that maybe got cut in the NBA, really good player who he knew, you know, I remember we were living in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and he, he knew um, that this player was not going to be in the CBA for very long. There wasn't a whole lot of money in the CBA at that time. Um, so he always, you know, opened the house up, you know, Hey, you got a 10 day contract, you know, why don't you just, just come live in my house. 
And so, you know, in, in a way, I, I feel that I was very fortunate to be, you know, a part of some some diverse situations early on. And and you know, it wasn't until and and, and I'll speak to Josh um, about Josh in a moment, but it wasn't until you know the George Floyd uh, uh, killing that it really you know hit hit me in the head, hit me in the face, um, and and it where you ha- I was able to have those conversations with um, my best friend growing up since third grade. I was always a really quiet kid, um, and my best friend met him on the the playground playing basketball at Plymouth Creek Elementary, about twenty minutes away from here, out in Wyzetta. Um, his name is Tatuno Badina, and he's uh, he was he's black, and we hit it off. We became best friends and we're best friends to this day. And he and I have never had the black white conversation really. And he's been my best friend for however many years, 20, over 20 years until the the killing of George Floyd. And it was, you know, and and he was, he said some things that, that really hit me, hit me hard in a way, not as hard as people, you know, who have to deal with it on a daily basis, but he said, you know, he goes, do you, do you know why I never wanted to drive in high school? He goes, I never wanted to drive in high school because out in Wyzetta, it was tough for me because I felt like I'd get stopped a lot. And I thought about it. I'm like, man, I did always drive. I was always giving him a hard time because I'm like, man, why do I always got to drive everywhere? But then he started explaining it to me. And, you know, then, you know, Josh, uh, it, seeing, seeing Josh and hearing we had a, we had a team call very early, early right after um, – I want to say the day after the, the George Floyd murder and, you know, Josh was vocal among other, other people. And when you hear people you love and, and you hear the pain that maybe they have felt or, or things that they've had to endure on a daily basis um, that I have taken for granted, you know, you know, if I want to go for a run, I didn't realize if, if I want to go for a run, I can put my, my fo- cell phone on my arm, my waistband, wherever I want. You know, one of somebody within our organization talk, has talked about, you know, the fact that they won't put it on their waistband because they don't want it to, to look like a gun if they're reaching for it. And like, that hurts me because these are people that, that you grow so close with, you know, through the ups and downs of, of a, a sports season. And then, you know, seeing Josh, I mean, I'm just, I'm proud to have, uh, be a part of this organization, but also proud to, you know, be involved and, and, and be able to, to, to work with alongside and, and not necessarily talk about leading because they lead you know, just, just like I, I try to do, but um, seeing somebody like Josh and, and Carl who was hurt, hurting um, during that time, during that, that peaceful protest and, and, and the rally, um, I remember watching my living with my wife and, uh, you know, my, my wife loves our, our whole team, but she, she loves Carl. She's known Carl for a while and she loves Josh. Josh always asks her how she's doing, gives her a hug, you know, gives her uh asked about my son and so she loves josh and she just started crying seeing josh josh and carl uh standing up there and and it's emotional because you see people hurting um so you know to answer your question you know i think that you know i've I've wanted to be a listener when it comes to leadership because i i just want to learn more and learn how i can help and be an ally because it's it's like one of one of my friends told me you know if if, unfortunately for for me I could choose to not be a voice and not be a part of this tomorrow. And it wouldn't necessarily affect my daily life um, because, because I'm white, but you know, for a lot of people I love and, and, you know, an injustice to to one is an injustice to all. Um, A lot of people I love, you know, hurt on a daily basis or have to make, make conscious decisions on a daily basis. And, and I, that's not the type of world I want my son to grow up in either. Yeah. 
As I was listening to both of you, I was thinking about coming to terms with identity. So I have four sons and I think about what it means to them to be inundated with these images and how those images play into how they see themselves or their future Mm -hmm. or their responsibilities. So I was struck, Josh, and how you were talking and um, and then with you, Coach, you know, white, you know, coming yeah. from a privileged cir- circumstance, like you're coming probably to terms with power and pl- privilege and how, Absolutely. right? And I think that's underneath what you're talking about. And there's so many people that wrestle with, like, if I, coming to terms with my own identity is yeah. a sense of loss. Um, and really, it's not about centering you in this. It's about understanding the experience of others. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know what my question necessarily is, but but Josh, you kind of detailed a little bit out the way that the most recent incidents happened. But, you know, have you talked with any of your guys or your brother about like, just, I know you have in terms of like, what does it mean to be black in America, right? Like, I mean, are you living with like a daily fear because we hear that? And then some people don't feel that, but they know that it could happen. Like, what what kind of experience are you having as a Black man? Well, for me, um, growing up, it was a little different. Uh, why I say that is just because I'm, I'm like African-American, but I was born in Nigeria. So, like, my parents, like, I'm 100% African. Like, my parents are 100% African. The only person in my family who wasn't really born in Nigeria is my little brother. He's the only one that was born here. But why I say that is like being like with my, my, my parents coming to the States, they kind of put us in like in a different realm in terms of raising us. Like we were raised, like we had to be perfect. And it wasn't even being perfect in terms of, you know, like how uh, regular, I don't say the regular, but how a normal African-American uh, uh, parent would you know train their household like don't do this don't do that don't do this like my parents raised us like we couldn't make any mistakes like we couldn't we couldn't like get in trouble in school it was just because they didn't want any trouble to where we would get sent back to you know to Nigeria it was the fear of you know they brought us here for a better life so like with my when I was growing up it wasn't necessarily don't stay out at night because of the cops. It was just don't stay out at night for any, for, sorry, for any reason. You know what I'm saying? So like growing up, like I felt that I had to be perfect. Like even when I, even when I was on the, you know, when I was playing basketball, I had to make sure academics was good. And it, it kind of helped though, growing up in my neighborhood, because everything was, everybody was black in my neighborhood growing up. Like police officers was black. Like the school was predominantly black. You know, there was probably, 10 you know white people in my school in terms of like students like the whole demographic for where i grew up was was black so you didn't really see a lot of like white police officers you like like i'm telling you like pretty much everybody was black so i was i grew up naive in in a sense to you know white officers and 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 black kids and i never really and i was so sheltered why i say that is my parents were so like protective like after school you come straight home like my mom didn't let me go to sleepovers, you know, I could barely talk on the phone, like, like just like growing up, like I, it was so, it was so strict and it was just, it was just them trying to, to, to protect, protect us. But by the time I go to college and I'm living by myself, I, I would say college was probably my first time ever in my life where I was in the open 
and dealing with a lot of different demographics at one time. So, and, um, but it kind of helped though, cause I was in Atlanta. So the, the demographic from Atlanta is, 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 is mixed as well. It's not, you know, predominantly white, it's not predominantly black. So in college I was, you know, kind of having conversations with, you know, white people and kind of being in an environment which is predominantly white because my co- college was predominantly white. So, you know, then I kind of felt for the first time in my life, I felt like the strange person, you know what I'm saying? In Minnesota, I would say it's my first time ever being in a population where everything now is, is there's like, you know, there's not a lot of black, you know, per se people in Minnesota. But why, why I say all this is I feel like how I was raised is kind of the standard for every black person in America. We have to be perfect for anything. You know, you make one mistake when you're black and it's like, oh, you know, they, they like the way they like the way they treat somebody who is black that makes one mistake is is it's crazy. Even you could even see it with the social social distancing um, uh, mechanisms when they told everybody that they had there was curfew and they put curfews into place. They are, and it was like the same city. They had a dark skinned black person, a light skinned black person, and a white person all violated all violated uh, curfew at the same time. And the amounts of bail for all three people were different. The dark skinned person had the largest amount of bail. Then the light skin had a little bit less expensive, and like the white person was his bail is probably little, little to none. And then that's when you start to see, like, man, as a black person in America, you have to be perfect. And growing up, and I want to say I didn't grow up perfect. I made a lot of mistakes, but it was very hard. Yeah. It's very, it's very, it's very hard to, it's very hard to grow up perfect. It's like saying if you're on a basketball court and you tell somebody you have to make your next ten shots. It, it's so much pressure. You, you're for sure going to miss because people put that pressure on you that you have to make this next 10 shot. If you told me in the gym, look, just take 10. I'll probably make more yeah, if you told me to pressure. take 10 than telling me you have to make every um, all 10. So it's just, it, that's just kind of how my perception is on everything. Like it's not coach's fault. It's nobody's fault. I'm not blaming anybody. It's like for me, I don't have hate with nobody. I, like I told you, I love everybody. But as a white person in America, you don't have to, you don't have to be perfect. You can make a couple mistakes here and there, no matter the severity of the mistakes. You can make a mistake and still be good. What's his name, Coach John Thompson, right? The coach from um, Georgetown. That's the yeah, yep. I, yeah. I heard um, he. I actually was reading up on him, and he said a video. He was like, "To be a black coach, you have to be perfect." Mm-hmm. And he said he hates it because he said you shouldn't have to be perfect to be a black coach. You shouldn't have to have to win. A, you shouldn't have to win a national championship to be a black coach. You shouldn't have to have the greatest record in the world to be a black coach. And, and I think that's just, I don't wanna say my problem, but that's just kind of how I kind of see stuff as like we're, as blacks, we're put under so much pressure to be perfect. And I'd say when you put so much pressure on people, it's gonna be worse yeah. than if you didn't put that much yeah. pressure on people. So that's just yes. my whole outlook yeah. on, on everything. Yeah, a lot. There's so much in there. And I think what, um, again, I was struck by is like, so you grew up in an experience where there might have been 10 white people. And Ryan, you probably grew up in the very opposite scenario where where you went to high school was probably all white with a handful of black people. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, how do you think that um, that informed you or prepared you? Because I think there's a lot of folks that as they are sitting inside of Minneapolis or other communities that are predominantly white, thinking about mm-hmm. issues related to race and identity. 
while they're in a community that lacks the diversity that would give them that education. Like if their if their son didn't bring home a third grade black friend, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And even yeah. if they did, would you let them in the house, right? And like, would you be okay with them going back and forth or whatever? But if you were giving advice to parents about what you think would have maybe better prepared you um, in the context that you grew up in, what would you advise? You know, I, I think it's it's a good question. It's It's one that, you know, I would ad- admit to say, you know, I don't necessarily ha- have the right answer. But all I, all I would say at this point right now is, you know, and, and that's where a lot of, unfortunately, murders of black and brown individuals, you know, at the hands of law enforcement um, has opened up these dialogues, uh, you know, be- between people and, and people of different races and people of different backgrounds. But, you know, I would just say that, you know, to, to one, open your ears and, and try to listen and, and educate yourself on, you know, I, I did not understand, you know, I, um, the redlining that has gone on in Minnesota, you know, for years. I mean, I, I, hey, I wasn't aware of that because bottom line, it didn't affect me. And, um, but I, I, I am aware of, you know, how so many people that I care about and love feel now and so and and that's you know by by trying to listen and also you know understanding that you know however however you may you may perceive something to you know or someone to to be um it it doesn't you need to guard against against those if, if you're really trying to stand up for what's right and you're and you're trying to be about what's right when it comes to race in america you need to guard against maybe your own implicit or explicit biases too. And I think that, you know, and, and I reference, you know, a lot of times what, what players, cause I've, I've been able to have, you know, a lot of conversations with players um, and they've been teaching me so much more when, you know, in, in a way I, in YZ, I felt, I felt very, um, it was predominantly white going to high school. Um, you know, so you have that element of, you know, my life. And, but then, you know, the fact that my dad was, was a basketball coach, um, I was around a lot of black and brown individuals then. And so, you know, the fact that race wasn't necessarily maybe talked about a lot um, can also be maybe an issue too. And on the, on the other, on the other side, going the other way, um, because, you know, I, I just think that people that look like myself, you know, need to, need to be vocal and need to stand up for, um, you know, the, the injustices that, that we're seeing, you know, for, uh, you know, different, different races. Just to, I'm sorry, just to piggyback off what coach said, I think what makes it easier is just playing sports. You, you name a race, you name a religion, anything. I've, I've probably played with a teammate, you know, of, of all different kind of sorts. I've played with every, everybody and you start to learn everybody is the same. Yeah, you know, one of the things, I was thinking about your college experience too, right? And I was thinking, okay, you went to predominantly white college, but you're an athlete. Exactly. Athletes get treated differently, right? And um, you have a celebrity that comes with you and you have a platform that comes with you. But, you know, based on what you just said, and, um, you know, I think, and I believe wholeheartedly in what you're saying, right? Like you look at like sports and the role that sports have played in integrating sports um when you look at um the activism within sports whether or not it was an olympic team or whether or not it was muhammad ali 
or whether or not it's what you guys are doing in this moment right now, right? Like that this whole thing, this concept of team and investment in it actually makes me quite sad in terms of what I'm seeing in our public education system where we're not investing in the same way because we don't understand or we haven't valued the, the disciplines, the, the coaching, the teaming, the individual goal setting that happens through sports. And, I, and you're talking about breaking down barriers, but it, it, is a, it is a place that will challenge you and teach you a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I think about that a lot in terms of like kind of local sports. And uh, I'm curious on whether or not you think sports should be something that should be considered as part of young people's development. hundred percent. I think sports, sports is how life should be. Uh, uh, you know, an objective where people from different backgrounds, people from different areas come together to achieve one goal. And, and, and the goal is, is life pretty much like, you know, I have to work with you, work with you, no matter the circumstance, we're all on the same team. Like we're all on the same team. It doesn't matter where you come from. We have one goal. Like I feel like with sports, it, I don't even realize, like I had a teammate, Gorgie Jane on a team. After every game, he would pray. Like, like literally, like after we, we would play whatever game, it don't matter if we lost by 100 points, if we won by 100 points. No matter what happens, coach comes in, he yells at, he yells at us or he, he, he's smiling. <laughs> whatever, whatever, coach, whatever coach decides to do, he does it. And then we go take a shower. And after he takes a shower, he, he puts his, uh, he puts his um, towels down and he prays for his five minutes. And it's just, it's just crazy because everybody knows that he does it. And, and the respect that we give him is, is, is crazy. Like, we know, one, don't step on the towel because that's like his, his sacred ground. Two, when he's praying, you don't talk to him because obviously he's trying to connect with God. Like, three, like even like the media people, when they want, if they want to talk to him, they know, okay, y'all, let's talk to, let's talk to this person first. Um, he's praying. Let's, let's respect him. We all embrace it. We respect him. And I think that's how life should be. You know, you're different from me. You might have something else to do that I don't do, but I have to respect you. And I might have something that I do that you don't do. Mm-hmm. You have to respect me. And that collective respect, I feel like that's what we're lacking, you know, in, in, in today. It's just so subconscious yeah. that you don't even realize how much respect that you're just displaying for him right now because it's so second nature. And I feel like we don't have that second nature respect right now amongst everybody um, globally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and I, think, I think that I feel that sports is, is the great, you know, uniter in so many ways. And, you know, where that comes from, too, is we had, we had Bishop uh, T.D. Jakes on with our, with our team, and he spoke on this topic. And uh, one of the things that he, he said and, and he put in, and I'm, I won't say it as eloquent or, or, or as poignant as he does, but, or he did, but he said that you look at, you know, basketball and, hey, everybody out there, everybody's playing by the same rules. It's a, a level playing field. Everybody, it's equal. You know, you're all trying to, hey, if you, it's a foul, it's a foul. If you hit the guy on the wrist, whatever it is, you know, you, you make it from behind the three-point line, it's a three. It's, it's very basic, it, but it's all equal, equal playing, a level playing field. And, you know, we don't, you know, but, but you said outside of the sports arena and outside of those lines, you know, that's not how it is. And I think when, when, you, when you think of it that way, and, and you know, I, I guess, you, you know, you say you, th- you think of it someone like myself, too, it just makes me think even more um, about, man, like, 
I, I didn't even realize all this because ultimately it didn't affect my day-to-day life. And, you know, it's, it's not, an, and I, I've had a lot, a lot of, you know, friends tell me, Hey, like, there's no reason to feel any type of type of guilt by any means, but it's just, it's just, it's, you know, we all need to be aware. And yeah. I think that, you know, George Floyd's mur- murder and everything that's gone on, that's made us all more aware right now. Yeah. I got one more question. And, and that is really like George Floyd happened in our in our town, right? Like mm-hmm. this is where we are working and living. And, um, you know, I'm watching sort of the activism and the leadership of, of the NBA, the WNBA, a lot of um, visible celebrities with, with um, brands and visibility that are taking that responsibility seriously towards change. And um, coach, can you talk about, do you see this, this, this moment beyond yeah. the time that we're living in, in terms of how the Timberwolves mm-hmm. will be involved in social issues? Like, do you see continuing that work? And if so, is there anything you can share about how you're thinking about that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do see this being, being a moment and um, I'm sure, I'm sure Josh will be able to elaborate a little bit, but, uh, I see it being a moment and, and, you know, hopefully being a turning point, uh, you know, for change, but, you know, no matter what, I feel like it'll be a turning point for what we're, you know, looking to do to, to help affect change. And, you know, every opportunity I, I, I have to speak on this, you know, I always bring up the, how the NBA and the WNBA, um, you know, it, it's, it's an honor to be a part of this association because of the way that, you know, leadership and, and that's the league office everywhere. Um, they want to want to listen to, to those and they want to help those who maybe don't have a voice. And I think that that goes in so many ways. And we've had a lot of, uh, you know, initiatives be announced, you know, since, you know, the, the George Floyd killing here in our backyard, but, you know, our pack the vote initiative, um, where, when it comes to voting, regist- voter registration, um, voter education, um, helping under underserved, under resourced communities, and and you know for you know African American communities, but then also you know it it can go go along the lines to Latino as well um, in, in t- when it comes to voter bo- registration. So I mean I, I think it's 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 important that that you know we keep the momentum going, and um, you know when you have when you have people like Josh uh, who you know stand up for what they believe in, and people who who you know, act as opposed to just speak, um, you know, it, it makes it, it makes it very easy, an easy, very easy decision uh, for, for someone like myself, uh, you know, who is a white male in a position of leadership to want to support and want to be an ally and want to um, continuously uh, uh, stand up for what's right. Yeah. Maybe one more thing. And that is that we have seen sports organizations that have um, not embraced the leadership and activism of their players. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then there's other um, programs like what were, you know, the Timberwolves and the, and the Lynx and others that are really um, doing that. And so for not just other coaches, mm-hmm. but for people that are in office buildings that have a team, you know, for people that are responsible for other people that, mm-hmm. um, that, that are bringing a point of view that want to um, bring voice to issues that they care about in this community. Um, is there, is there any, 
anything that you might offer that mm-hmm. so that we can kind of scale it back from being yeah. like, a, you know, a big team thing to like yeah. a, an act of leadership yeah. that allows for the leadership of others to surface. Yeah. And I'll punt this over to Josh after I'm, I'm done talking because I think Josh, maybe Josh can speak to, you know, what he, he needs um, to be a successful uh, uh, person working, you know, towards a common goal within an organization, you know, but for, for myself in, in a position of leadership, uh, I, I, I'm a strong believer that there's no right and wrong way to lead. There's just your way. And, you know, I, I may have a different way than, than other coaches. Other coaches have a different way, way than me. Um, but players, especially, you know, they can see when you're, you're trying, you're not yourself. And, you know, what I believe in is servant leadership. And I, I feel that you, you serve, you serve the, you know, in, in our case, you serve the, the player, uh, the player, or you serve the person before you, before you're, you're trying to, you know, approach the athlete. And so, I mean, you know, you, you, you want to make sure people are comfortable enough. I, I don't think people can always be on edge. You want to make sure people are comfortable enough if you're working towards, you know, everybody has a different goal, whatever, you know, corporation, whatever, you know, sports team, whatever, you, you know, you may be involved with working towards that common goal. Um, people need to feel supported and that comes with listening. And, you know, where I, I don't, I don't believe in the, in the, the mindset of, Hey, it's, you know, let's, let's keep, you know, whatever it is, uh, politics or let's keep activism outside of our, our work. I, I feel that, that, you know, if people are feeling that like they can't, they aren't supported or if people are feeling like they, they don't have, um, people don't have their back, you know, their production is not going to be, you know, at a high level. And so, I mean, I guess it's taking a step back, you know, I would tell other leaders that, you know, first off, it, it's, it's the right thing to do because, you know, like I said, an in, in, in injustice to one person is injustice to every, everyone. And we've heard that a lot, but, you know, when it comes to if somebody, if a leader is solely focused on the, the outcome, I'd like to think that your outcome is going to be more positive than negative if you just support your, you know, quote unquote employees, I guess. But I'll, I'll, I'll punt it over to Josh and let Josh, you know, talk about how he, how he feels, you know, and how he feels like he needs to be, be uh, led or supported. Mm-hmm. Uh, like for me, you know, like I feel like, you know, like coach said, everybody has their different ways of leading and everybody has their different ways of helping as well. I feel like, um, you know, some people, like to help in terms of resources, money. Like I know, um, um, I know like a couple celebrities, they'll, they'll um, give money to those who are, you know, put in jail for, for, you know, getting arrested for a pro- um, peaceful protest, whatever the case may be. But I feel like, you know, just doing nothing, that's, that's unacceptable. Like nothing is unacceptable. It, it, but like, like coach said, like, if you have your different way of leading, that's cool. Cause we're not going to, we're not going to win this fight by doing this thing one way. You know, we got we to gotta hit this, you know, doing a different way and how we can come together and uh, collectively and rub our brains together to see how many different ways we can attack this, this monster. That, that's, that's better. But I feel like as with the Timberwolves organization, they have the most important ingredient that we need to help fight this thing, which is the willingness. You know, they, they have the willingness. And it's not just it's not just the coaches. It's not just the front office. It's, it's the players as well who aren't black. Mm-hmm. Like true story. I went to, um, I went to Kentucky to um, um, do some stuff with the community, you know, cause that's where, you know, Breonna Taylor was, was murdered as well. So I went to the, um, to the community. We did a, like, we did food drops. We, we I actually met Breonna, Breonna Taylor's mother, her sister, her boyfriend who was actually in the, um, 
in the house with her when that tragic event happened. But like when I came back, one of my teammates who's who's Hispanic, Wancho, Wancho, because I posted a lot of the stuff on my Instagram. Wancho came to me. I was like, "What's up, Wancho?" He he literally came to me and pushed me, like like he was mad at me. Like he really gave me like a hard push. And I was like, "What you push me for?" He said, "If you ever." go do something like that again when you're helping the community out or you're doing something of that nature and you don't invite me, I'm going to beat you up next time. That's, that's what he told me. I, 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 I promise you, that's what he told me. I'm talking about, I'm literally just coming in. I didn't say nothing to nobody. Like, he just pushed me and he told me that. And I was like, like, wow. You know, I was like, really like, wow. Like, that, that, that's crazy. And that's like the energy across the board from the last player on the bench to the highest position in the front office. That's across the board. That's kind of the energy that everybody has. Like, we may not have all the answers. We may not know everything to do, but we're willing to try. We're willing to do everything, obviously, amongst our, amongst our power to help, you know, fight. And, and I feel like that's, like I said, that's the most important ingredient. And, um, and I think the Timberwolves have that 110%. And you know, I really appreciate that because now I'm like, wow, give, it gives you more confidence. It gives you more life. It gives you more hope when you see other people who aren't necessarily being affected as you are fighting the same cause that you are. So that's, that's how I'm going to end this, but that that's, this man, that's, I'm speechless to be honest. Yeah. There's so much power in that. And I think that, you know, some of the argument or some of the, the sentiment from community is that we are here. We're not invisible. Like hear us, mm -hmm. hear our story, hear what we are experiencing and, and help us partner with us to make sure that this doesn't continue. And so I think the story that you just said illustrated not just having leadership that sees you and honors, not just who you are, but what you bring. And then they're willing to partner with you and to have teammates on the team mm -hmm. that this may not be my issue, but it's my issue because you're on my team. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, um, you know, and I think that's what this is all about. And, and in the podcast is saying, really, we're all on, this, on the same team. Really, we all have some of the same goals to make this a livable city that we can all be proud of where um, we are thriving and folks have access. And, I, and, and so I appreciate both of you and your willingness to be, be on this podcast, to continue to, to share your story and to inspire. Um, every time I hear more about the Timberwolves program, I'm like, I'm like more like a, a, a becoming a super fan if I wasn't before I am now, because you want to know that the, the, the core values, and I think those core values speak so loudly, not because you've got them on a document or a website, but because you're living them and you're acting into them, you're owning what you don't know, and you're willing to go where you need to go. And um, just really just, uh, just mad respect for that, uh, Coach and Josh, thank you um, again. And I appreciate you. That's Ryan Saunders, Josh Akogi, and Shonda Smith-Baker. Special thanks to the Minnesota Lynx and Timberwolves in partnering up with Team Up for Change, where nine WNBA and NBA teams come together on a shared commitment and call for racial equality and social justice. To learn more, just head over to Twitter or Instagram at Shonda S. Baker. This is Supak Kienitz from the Minneapolis Foundation Thank you for listening to Conversations with Shonda.